Welcome to the Front End Nerdery Podcast, a podcast about front end development and design. I'm your host, Todd Libby. My guest today is speaker, author, co-founder of An Event Apart, developer advocate, and second most famous person in his graduating class, Eric Meyer. Eric, how are you today? <laughs> I'm doing not too badly. How about yourself? I am doing well, thank you. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? I started out as a child. That's very old uh, comedy reference. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, I've uh, I've been hanging around since the late seventies, uh, and at least as I as I conceive it. And um, I am now, as you said, a developer advocate at Egalia, which is a consultancy based in Spain. Listeners to the podcast might remember them as the people who implemented Grid in uh, you know multiple browsers. Chromium and and, uh, and and WebKit, I believe. I might have misremembered that. It was before my time, so the Great. details get fuzzy. But they were a major driver in getting Grid into browsers at all. I'm doing developer advocacy, uh, documentation, stuff like that there. But uh, I started out on the web in late 93, mid to late 93. Uh, started with CSS in middle of 96, 1996. Um, which might well be before some listeners to the podcast were born, because <laughs> that's how long we've 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 had this web thing now. It's long enough that people can have careers in it that literally were not born before it it was created, which should make me feel old, but uh, I think more it makes me feel gratified mm-hmm. at this thing that uh, the web that was so compelling to me. When I first saw it, and I think to most of us, was in fact that compelling. It was compelling enough that it's still around a quarter century on, so um, or more, three three decades now. Lots of technologies, you know, have come and gone. Yes, right. Lots of them before the web and since the web uh, emerged. Lots of technologies have come and gone. It, Flash is the obvious sort of the easy one to grab, but yeah. it's not the only one. There are plenty of other technologies that that have had their moment and then faded away and the web is not one of them. And it, it feels a little, I I'll be honest, feels a little validating, right? Mm. The idea that that thing that was so amazing to me, that I actually had a reason to be amazed by it. Yeah. And I started a little after you did. I was, well, professionally it was 99. I was a little bit before that I was learning basic on a Commodore. Oh yeah. Um, nice. So uh, one of the many flavors of basic, because yeah. um, I know you remember all those magazines we would get that had the code in the magazines and you yep. could read the magazine, go through and try it. Yeah, it was, it was great. And then when you bite. were talking, to, yes, <laughs> yes. And then you were, you jogged my memory when you were talking about flash. Um, Cause I was talking the other day about J script mm. and that, that uh, when you mentioned Flash, just uh, chug the memory. So let's get right into the questions because okay. I am uh, eager to ask you of these questions. First one, and I've heard this before a little bit when you've been on other podcasts and, and listening, you know, reading also from your website. Mm. How did you get started in your development and design journey? 
which which stage because <laughs> yeah like my development journey much like you was basic on things like commodores or before that actually a couple of mainframes that i was lucky enough to have access to um and that was in the late 70s design and development i mean those sort of start with my getting involved with the web which was in like i say mid to late 1993 i was working at case western reserve university uh it's a private university in cleveland ohio it's actually the university i graduated from and then i got a job at uh, reasoning that if I stayed there long enough, I could make back all of the money I had given them in tuition. Um, it yeah. took longer <laughs> than four years. I will say, hey, Case was not a, an, an inexpensive school, still isn't an inexpensive school. Um, and uh, my starting pay was not great, but it got better. And I stayed longer than four years. Anyway, um, so I was, uh, I, was, I was a hardware jockey for the library system and was like, we had these 486s. You'll remember what that means. Not everyone listening well, but these old PCs uh, that were used as terminals for our, for the online card catalog. Like as I started working, we were transitioning away from literal paper card catalogs to the electronic card catalog. And instead of being a bunch of dumb terminals, that were wired up to a mainframe. It was a bunch of 486s wired up to a server. Uh, over because at the time the campus had very good networking. Uh, we had fiber optic networking like in the late 80s. Um, so I was exposed to the web by one of my coworkers who's still a, still a friend, um, and uh, I got really excited by it. So um, I really I started working on it really hard, and I was like, we should have a website for the school we sort of had one it was a web front end to a gopher server because that was a thing you could do back in the day um but i i was like no it needs to be native web not just a front end on something else and nobody else really wanted the job so i i sort of got it and so that i had to design homepages for the (laughs) university because like nobody else at the university was interested at at one point i went to the marketing department and said, Hey, this thing, the World Wide web, the whole world can see it. And we're doing a thing. Do you want to help out? They're like, no, we're not interested. Okay. <laughs> I guess I'll just do this then. So I, I just did it. And then years later they came back, they're like, Hey, can we help out? I was like, no, nah, not interested. <laughs> <laughs> um, they are of course in charge of it now, but that's, that's many years later. Um, but yeah, that's I think I think that's probably the where I started because I had like I had to design a homepage. I didn't have any design training, still don't really, other than experience. And I'm not gonna say that they were great designs. They were very basic. Maybe they weren't that basic by the standards of the day. It was 1994. There wasn't a lot um, <laughs> yes. in, in terms of yeah. in terms of design possibility. I mean, I, I had to design a homepage before we even had tables. Right. So I I couldn't lay it out with tables. I never actually did. I never used tables for layout because it just struck me as, as wrong. Even before there was CSS, it wasn't even an option when I got started. And so, you know, maybe it was okay by the standards of the day. I I feel like we did some decent information architecture. It was one of the very, one of the very first sites that had a toolbar at the top and the bottom 
of each page. And it at the time it was just an image because it branding, right? Yeah. It was like logo and the name of the school. And then there were these buttons, and it was just one image that had area. It was an image map. Yep. And there was one at the top and one at the bottom. And we we did that on every page. And most like almost no sites did that at the time. You know, whether it was visually appealing, yeah, you know. <laughs> Beauties in the eye of the beholder, but information architecture-wise, I, f- I felt like it was it was a good move. Now, of course, we had way too many buttons, right? I had like two rows of buttons, and they were like pixel text that I had drawn myself, yeah. and everything was like hand balanced and the whole line, you know, the sort of thing we would do in a flash today with Flexbox or whatever. But um, yeah, I did, uh, we did that, and it was you know felt useful. Uh, thinking back to the first few sites i i did back in the day so when i started doing professional web design (laughs) it was front page express on a uh 386 i believe it 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 was either an sx or dx i believe it was a dx we had an ibm one of the big huge you know 200 pound paperweights Oh yeah. Yeah, there wasn't much to go on back in the day. Although I believe that was the time when uh I believe Wired was on. Yeah. Wired had a website. Yeah. And it, you know, during the time with GeoCities, Tripod, all those sites too. So yeah. Angel yeah. Fire. Yes. Angel Neopets, Fire. For that matter. Neopets. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So yeah. Um so I wanted to briefly touch upon because I just I, I kind of go back and forth looking at the event apart website and I see mm. there's three dates that are yeah. live events, yeah. which is exciting because I missed the last what was it fall summit was the last virtual mm. one I believe. Mm-hmm. Yep. How did that go? And can you quickly you know recap how you know how, who who was there? How it went? I mean, it went well. <laughs> yeah, they all um, do. Yeah. Who was there? I would honestly a lot of to some, ex, to some extent I would have to look. If if you're if you're asking like who spoke. Yeah, you, I know you had a very yeah, a great roster of, of speakers, so. Yeah, I mean we try. Of course, because they're virtual, every virtual event happens for me happens in my office. <laughs> right? So, I don't have like place association. Okay. So in the past, if you said, so how was, you know, an event apart Denver, right? I'd be like, okay, I was either, we were at the Denver hotel. Who did I see there? Right. right. That's right. kind of how my memory works Gotcha. here. It's, it's like, uh, yeah. Okay. Which, which month in my office? Yeah. I mean, we had a great lineup now, now that I'm looking at it, I'm remembering, <laughs> uh, we had some new faces, uh, we were excited to, to, to do that. Um, Aaron Casali, who did a great talk on feedback, uh, Hui Jing Chen, somewhat known in the CSS space, talked about CSS. Uh, Tom Greenwood had a thing on uh, efficient web design mm-hmm. um, and, and like energy efficient. Regine Gilbert uh, did a thing on accessibility research. I feel like there was somebody else new. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Yeah, of course. Eva Penzimug talked about ethics. Um, and design and technology it's interesting you would think ethics sounds like you know what is this a philosophy conference but actually ethics in tech talks have been some of i think our best talks in the last 
year or two mm-hmm. um, in, in the sense of the most thought provoking and yes. the most sort of challenging, but we also had uh, Rachel Andrew, um, Derek Featherstone, uh, Jason Grigsby, Christina Halverson, uh, Sarah Parmenter and Sarah Suidan, uh, Melanie Richards, Miriam Suzanne, David Dillon Thomas. Mm-hmm. I hope I didn't miss. Oh, Christina Halverson. Of course had a chat with Christina for 45 minutes or whatever. We just chatted. It was fun. Um, yeah. And it is sort of the usual range of topics. We had a good time. Yeah. There oh, was a few. And, oh, geez. Mike Essel. I completely forgot. Right. right yeah. <sighs> Sorry, Mike. Um, <laughs> yeah. Kind of a legendary designer. Yes. Uh, one of the, he was uh founder of one of the first like major uh, design consultancies, the chopping block. They did a lot of early uh, websites and he's mm-hmm. done um, some amazing books, the art of Superman, the art of the dark Knight, uh, some others as well. He, uh, and uh, we learned in the course of the chat, he owns one of the two largest collections in the world of Mr. T memorabilia. Yes. Yes. So. He was, I believe, wasn't he at, 2019 in Denver, if I recall correctly, or was it? Was it, it Denver? It might have yeah, been Boston. We, I think it was Orlando 2018. It all blew What is time? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Because uh, I remember I was. I'll have to look that up later. Um, it's possible. I remember he also the, came to Denver because again, yeah, I'm old memory. <laughs> so, <laughs> Because I remember him talking about the Mr. T collection. And yes, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, I remember that part of, you know, other than the rest, which is pretty important too, you know, was he at this one? (laughs) Because I was there, but. Another thing I learned, I absolutely Mm -hmm. had not known this. Uh, One of my favorite t-shirts, I actually don't own it even. One of my favorite t-shirts of all time is the G.I. Joe percentage of the battle pie shirt t-shirt. Yep. It's G.I. Joe across the top, and then it says the battle, 50% is knowing, because knowing is half the battle, fans of G.I. Joe. And then the other half is 25% is red lasers and 25% is blue lasers. Mike Essel designed that shirt. I had oh, wow. no idea. Huh. I was just like, <laughs> you're kidding. Wow. I love hmm. that shirt. It was just holding for kids of the 80s. Yes. Or those who... Our kids of kids of the eighties <laughs> had to go through their parents' nostalgia trip. There was this, you know, but for everyone else, there was a Saturday cartoon GI Joe, and at the end of many, most, all, I don't remember now, but at the wow, end yeah. of some episodes, at least, there would be a short, like one minute, where some kid would be like, "Hey, Timmy, let's go play in the well," and then some member of G.I. Joe will be like, stop, that would be dangerous, and explain why that would be dangerous. And then, yeah. wow, now we know. And knowing is half the battle. <laughs> exactly, yes. So, yeah. anyway. I'll have, to, I'll have to hunt down for one of those shirts. I kind of yeah. want one. Yeah. <laughs> I want one now. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. People can down, or they pay to be able to view yeah. the event well, so on demand. You can do that now for Fall Summit, yes. There's the, you can buy a ticket to, so that you're part of sort of the live show, right? Where we have live Q&A with the <clears throat> live question and answer with the speakers. But it is all now available on demand if you want uh, for Fall Summit. All the talks 
All the Q&As were recorded. Everything's captioned, like professionally captioned, not auto-captioned, including the Q&As. The slide decks, when we got them from speakers, which I think was all but maybe one. Or no, maybe maybe it was all of them in the end. Slides and you get access to the, the forums and stuff like that. So, yeah. I always recommend to people that they, you know, spend the money and, and watch, you know, the event because they're always great. The ones that I've attended virtually are great. The in-person ones are, wow. although even better because they're in person, they're, you know, they're still every, you know, it's all still great. It's one of my favorite conferences and it's well, a great conference that's put on. So well, thank you. Um, we do our best. Yes. Je- Jeffrey and, and I set out way back in the day and it's been a while now. Uh, to design yep. the kind of conference we would want to attend. And that's right. still sort of the guiding star. Everyone feels, both attendees and speakers, feels mm-hmm. like, you know, it was a good experience. Because I think a lot of us have been to conferences where we came away from it like, well, I learned a lot, but it was kind of a crappy experience for whatever, yes. you know, for various reasons. But um, we we try really hard to not have that. Yeah, right. Yeah. And like I said, they're all, you know, I... I Tell people that when, oh, you know, what conferences you go to, you know, an event apart is always on the list because it's, you know, that great. It's, you know, I've even traveled like, you know, Denver. I look forward to traveling to uh, you have Denver, Seattle and San Francisco on the list. Yes. That's that's what we have for that. Yeah. That's what we have for 2022 is Seattle in the spring. Yes. Uh, Denver in October and San Francisco next December. So a little more than a year from now. Yeah. Yeah. And the community segueing here into community, mm-hmm. the community, AEA community is great. Uh, wide range of people. I love, you know, the hall, what I was talking about this last conference I went to, which was connect tech in Atlanta mm-hmm. uh, in, well, a few weeks ago, actually is the hallway track, you know? Yeah talking with people in the hallway and it's, Mm -hmm. you know, those things are great. So my first question on community is, you know, what does community mean to you? Uh, A lot of things. Um, At Event Apart, community is the community of people who are there, the attendees, the speakers who are like-minded in a, in a certain way, right? It's not, we all think exactly the same way about everything, but we all have a shared passion for the web and for interaction, digital interaction, and helping users, and being better at all of the aspects of that, really. Yeah, the hallway track, the lunchtime conversations, uh, the breakfast conversations, you know, when you're sitting at a table with a probably a bunch of people you never met before, yep. but you automatically know it's like, we're all like, we're all here for this, right? We're, and because we're here for this, we, we have something in common. But the sort of the broader community, it, it means a lot of things. It's very complicated because, of course, any community has its positives and negatives. Yep. And, you know, I, I try to focus on the positive for me. But I try to remember some of the negatives. I mean, unfortunately, we have people who try to gatekeep, yes. which I've never really been a fan of. Mm-hmm. And I know that sometimes I can come off as a little gatekeepy about some things. Mm-hmm. Right. I have I have certain beliefs about what the craft of the web demands. But what I try to remember is that the community is more than just the craftspeople. 
Right. So there's people like maybe you and me, people who listen to this podcast who are like super into the front end, super into development, super into design, super into user experience, you know, information architecture, um, you know, color theory, visual design, CSS, HTML, JavaScript, all that stuff. Like we're super into that. And I feel like there are sort of minimal standards that have to be met. Accessibility being one of them. I think being a very important one, it's not the only one, but it's very important because the web was designed to be accessible. It prioritizes, I've, I've said before, but it prioritizes ubiquity over consistency mm-hmm. because the point is to have access to information. And it should not matter if you're on a 49-inch curved monitor you know, rig or a, an internet-connected television or an iPhone or a feature phone, as they're called, the, the non-smartphones are called feature phones um, mm-hmm. in the industry, apparently, right? Shouldn't matter. You should be able to get access to that information. The experience will not be consistent between those, right? My desktop design on the curved, I don't have a curved 49-inch monitor, but I keep getting ads for them, so that's what's coming to mind. Um, <laughs> but the experience there is going to be very different than somebody on a flip phone who right. only has a text mode browser, right? Yeah. But the web wasn't designed to care about that. Mm-hmm. Flash was kind of the opposite. Flash was all about consistency, right? You should have the same experience in basically every place where you get the Flash experience. They sacrificed the ubiquity for that, right? You couldn't have a Flash experience on your flip phone. Right. All right. I try to remember that, right? Like it's, it's more about access to information and sharing information. That's what the broader community is about. Right. So if you are a craftsperson, yes, I, I do have my opinions about what you should or shouldn't be able to do, what you should or shouldn't prioritize, but it's not to the extent of, and only such people should put things on the web right yeah. now. Not like that. We have some people who, you know, are doing the, if you're not using framework X, I'm not even going to use a, the name of a framework. If you're not using right. this framework, then you're not really doing web. Like, right. no, not wrong. You know, um, if you're not viewing source, you're not really a web for, you're not really publishing. Like, oh, come on. Right. You know, right. yes, I know view source is awesome. I absolutely think it's awesome. The web inspector is even more awesome. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, because when I got started in this, what compelled me the most about the web was the ability for anyone to share information. My sort of my starting vision of what made the web great and what drove me to do things like great HTML tutorials in 1995 was to help people share what they knew, mm-hmm. right? Because I don't know what you're super expert in that maybe only 20 people in the world are also interested in, but those 20 people could really use your expertise, right? Maybe you're like one of the most knowledgeable people in the world about lobster rolls, okay? <laughs> like how to make lobster rolls. I want you to be able to put that information out there for other people to find. That was absolutely what I thought the web was great for. And I still do. It still is great for that. You know, you, someone I just followed recently on Twitter, possibly one of the world's greatest voxel artists, mm. amazing work. Yeah. And it's much easier for her to share that because we have the web, we have Twitter, but Twitter's part of the web, right? Community is, is, is that, and it's the ability for us to hear each other, right? To be able to not only be speak, but potentially to be heard. And mm. there's no guarantee of that. You know, there's freedom of speech in America, but that's not freedom of reach. Like you don't have the right for people to see what you have to say, but you have that opportunity. You have that chance, right? You can say, here's what I know. Here's what I'm experiencing. Here's what I've seen. And then someone else maybe comes along 
because they're 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 going through something very similar. They're trying to figure out something, and you can. We've started to refer to these as conceptual silos. You know, we hear about accessibility Twitter, for example, yes. or you know the accessibility web uh, web rings. We're bringing them back anyway. Um, <laughs> Twitter makes it makes it easy. Uh, Instagram, same kind of thing happens, right? So, you know, I fell into brony TikTok, and yeah. like we know what that means, even though it shouldn't make any sense. Right? <laughs> you know, where where people who have the same habits are kind of or the same interests are kind of linking up and and sharing, and you can find some really amazing stuff out there. I've mm-hmm. fallen slightly into miniature modeling YouTube over the last year or so. <laughs> I'm, I don't do dioramas. I'm, I'm not a modeler. But just watching someone like who knows what they're doing do it is really interesting. Yeah. Um, there's a Boulder Boulder Creek Railroad, I think it's called the, the the YouTube channel. The guy on the YouTube channel, his name is Luke Toen. I believe he's Australian. And he does these great little dioramas. He's a commercial airline pilot and also does these dioramas and has a family. And I, you know, one of these people who apparently doesn't sleep. Um, <laughs> And so he does these videos where he's, he starts from nothing. And mm-hmm. at the end, he's got like the Ewok village from Return of the Jedi with the little, you know, the going from tree to tree. And the, right. you're just yeah. like, that's amazing. That's so yeah. cool how you did that. Like, I don't know that I would have the patience to do that, but it's so interesting to like follow that process. That's what interests me. One of the things that interests me so much about the web is that these communities can form. And it's great when they're positive communities, where they're sort of collaborative, supportive communities. So <clears throat> with community, from what I understand of the position of developer advocate, mm-hmm. a develop, developer advocate is very involved with community. Mm-hmm. So what does the developer advocate role um, entail? So there's a few things. And it's a little, I think it's a little different for everybody. So one of my co, basically my closest coworker, Brian Cardell, he's mm-hmm. also a developer advocate at Agalia. What he does is a little different than what I do, but there's a lot of overlap. So as an example, one of the things I do as a developer advocate is I have joined the CSS working group as a representative of Agalia. Now Agalia has several representatives on the CSS working group. But what I view my role there as being is to say, hey, I think developers would be really interested in this or yeah, I've never heard a developer ever say that they want this. Right. right? Or something like that. So to, mm-hmm. to be something of an advocate as best I can for developers in places like the CSS working group, there's a group that I'm a member of called web. We want, um, and the, also the open web doc steering committee. I'm a member of as a result of, uh, working for Agalia and, um, you know, one of the things that, that I'm not the only person there who's a developer advocate at Open Web Docs. I think kind of we all are. But again, to contribute to that conversation where somebody says, hey, what if we change the MDN pages so that they had this new thing or so that we remove this thing that doesn't seem like many people like it? You know, just to provide a, a perspective to say, oh, I find that interesting for XYZ or yeah, I think we could drop that. Nobody mm-hmm. Nobody needs that anymore, whatever it is. And so there's that. There's also being that representative within Agalia. So Agalia has a lot of projects that they could take on in addition to the ones that they have taken on. And so sometimes there will be a question like, you know, hey, um, we have these two possible projects we could take. 
which one seems better for the you know the web the what the web which includes everyone who develops on it but also everyone who uses it right so to pick an example that there was no discussion about because it was completely obvious but you know maybe someone had suppose someone had come to us and said we really want you to implement focus visible the css pseudo class in a browser in webkit and maybe there was a competing project that was you know about the same amount of time about the same amount of resource commitment about the same amount of income for agalia you know that would be a situation where i might say yeah i absolutely think we should take focus visible now i didn't have to do that because again there was no question within agalia's you know basically as soon as focus visible came up they're like yes that would be amazing we should do that but yes. it's that kind of thing mm-hmm. um you know where should we do this JavaScript API or that JavaScript API? Maybe, right? It doesn't happen often, but it can happen. Um, we also have input on uh, marketing and um, marketing materials, doing some of the communication work, blog posts, that sort of stuff. Um, but also helping internally. It's not, I mean, developer advocate is a title, but it's not everything that I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, an example is, uh, speaking of JavaScript APIs, Anyone who's written JavaScript that has anything to do with date and time knows of the pain that is the date object in JavaScript. So there's a new top-level JavaScript API called Temporal, which is based largely on moment.js. In fact, the moment.js people sort of brought it to TC39, which is the the committee that sort of does that sort of thing for ECMAScript and said, Mm. hey, People love this. It's really popular. This should be a JavaScript. It's been a multi-year process, but it's now starting to happen. Like the API, the the specification is basically nailed down and it's starting to be implemented in WebKit. Uh, You can, in technology previews of Safari, if you do this very specific flag thing, you can play with parts of the temporal API right now. They had a bunch of uh, documentation that had been written to go along with the specification, and they they wanted it on MDN. So I was able to take that as a project of just literally translating all all over to MDN to migrate it. In effect, rewrite it as necessary, adapt it to the MDN uh, templates, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, so that the people who were writing the code could get back to writing the code and didn't have to devote all that time to the documentation migration. Right. So that was, I mean, that's one project of, of, of the ones that I've done since I came on. Uh, it's actually currently the reference documentation is all ready to go. I have a branch uh, of MDM content that it'll just, when, when, when they're ready to accept it, it can just go in. And the same thing with the browser compatibility data, which underpins uh can I use and also the compatibility tables on the, on the Mozilla developer network that's starting to be updated, but we haven't quite cleared the hurdle where they're ready to have it show up because there's this balancing act that MDN has to, has to do, which is they don't want to document every single thing that's been proposed because then it becomes known as this place where, yeah, there's this documentation, but you have no idea if you'll ever actually be able to use it. Right. So that's one side of the balance. The other side of the balance is if people are super interested in a thing and they don't have documentation, right, then that's also a letdown. And so they have to thread that needle. And it's not always easy, especially with something like Temporal, where every browser maker is like, yes, we're doing this, but not yet. 
except it's starting mm-hmm. to land in WebKit right now. Okay. So I think next year, I'm hoping <laughs> next year that it'll be much, much more accessible to developers in, in Safari technical technology previews um, so that they can, you know, click a checkbox or, you know, it's part of the advanced features, experimental features flag or whatever um, so that people can start to mess with it. Cause temporal, I mean, I don't even, I don't even really do date-based JavaScript. It is so cool. It is awesome. <laughs> it's basically think, well, it's, it's moment JS, but more. Okay. Right. So it's date and time math. That's completely aware of time zones. It's aware of, uh, summertime slash daylight saving shifts when they are um it has every uh every single uh time zone including the the odd ones that are like 15 minutes off uh whatever's around them um it has nanosecond precision um instead of millisecond precision and it takes big integer values for nanoseconds so that's plus or minus approximately 500,000 years from the Unix epoch. Okay. I think is correct. Some, <laughs> some huge amount of time. Right. To either side of the Unix epoch, which was midnight universal time, January 1st, 1970. Um, so you can say, you know, this time here and, you know, this date and time, six years in the future on the other side of the world. And Temporal will tell you exactly how many, you know, years, months, hours, days, minutes, seconds away that is, um, yeah. if you want, and and have it correct for time zone shifts and all that, and summertime and wintertime and all that stuff. It's just, it's great. Yeah, I got to I got to transfer over the documentation and, and rewrite parts of it and create examples. And uh, pretty soon, I'm one of the things I want to do once the documentation is live once once the reference material is live is start putting in you know those live examples that they have on mdn yes where yep. it's like click run and it does a thing and then you can edit the code like i want to do that stuff but we can't really do it yet because it wouldn't work and really right. in the browser yeah. So, yeah yeah anyway so those are some <laughs> of the things i do yeah. there's other stuff too i mean yeah. i got pulled into to to write and present a talk at tpac recently okay because the person who was supposed to do it had something like a major life thing that prevented them from doing it. And so I did it, you know, so there's that too. It's challenging. It's, it's challenging, but it's fun. I did see you at TPAC. We were in a couple of uh, rooms together. The, uh, yep. Don't remember which ones. Cause again, time is <laughs> probably but, accessibility um, ones. One of them was one of them. Uh, one of them was the ethics. Uh, oh, okay. One that yeah, I do. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, that I found that one to be that piqued my interest. So, mm. um, yeah, yeah, I was in that one. So, what is the best part about your job? Well, I'm not going to lie. The paychecks are nice. <laughs> it's not Google money, right? It's not. It's not Fang money or <laughs> right. Manga money or whatever we're calling it now that we have <laughs> Meta yeah. instead of Facebook. Um, yeah. But it's it. I mean, no complaints. And uh, one of the things I like about it is is it's actually a collective. So there's every, everyone gets the same salary basically. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's no like weird negotiation stuff. It's just 
which is also how I like was why I miss Saturn, the car company. Okay. Because it was, this is the price of the car. It's, it's not a negotiation situation. It's a, this is what we're selling the car for. If that seems fair to you, please buy one. If it does not, don't. Um, I, I miss that so much. Right. Um, because now I was like, all right, well, let me go talk to my manager, see what I can do. Why are we doing this? Just anyway. Yeah. Um, so that that was I actually liked that um quite a bit. But one of the best, I think one of the best parts of my job is that the goal is to make the web better. And not just the goal of my job, the goal of the company, right? They're very invested in the open web. They're very invested in improving the web and pushing it forward, uh, making it more capable. Um, they, they, um, last year, uh, before I came on, they launched uh, a project called Open Prioritization, mm. where basically they said, here are five things that could be worked on. Focus Visible was one of them. And you, you, know, you can pledge money for each of them because it, it takes money to implement some of this stuff. Right. Um, and whichever one is the most popular effectively will do. And they did, and it was focused visible. They matched a dollar for dollar. A guy did. Um, so they raised however much they raised. I don't remember, but they matched that dollar for dollar. And this year they did the, something similar, uh, except they didn't do the competition. They had a couple of people who said, the MathML core specification should be supported in all browsers. You know, we've done really well in tech. We're going to contribute X money to start the MathML collective. And so there's going to be work done to uh, make the app, make MathML natively supported in multiple browsers, MathML core, more natively supported than it is now and better supported and more accessible, <laughs> um, much more exposed to the accessibility tree. And part of that effort is going to be figuring out, you know, how to resolve problems that come up. Because this is the thing. Specifications get written. The various members of whatever working group or community group or whatever it is hash out what they think should happen, how, how they think the specification should work. The specification gets finalized. Implementers go in, start implementing it. And then they discover, oh, this phrase that seemed so obvious when we were talking about it six months ago. Now I'm not sure how that interacts with X, Y, and Z. So they got to come back and like, you know, what should happen in this situation? Should we do X? Should we do Y? Should we do Z? Does someone else have a different um, proposal? So that sort of stuff inevitably happens. Um, and will probably happen here, trying to make math, mark, math markup more accessible. They're probably going to run into things that either nobody thought of or weren't made clear in the specification. So that's, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that they do. And, you know, yes, Egalia did get paid to do the focus visible implementation, but it was a thing that the community had said, this is what we want. And, you know, they, like I say, they also matched contributions dollar for dollar. So they kind of, Egalia kind of paid itself for half mm-hmm. of it. And, that was half the battle. Yeah. And, and the thing about open prioritization is that it's not like this is an Agalia thing. What you're voting on is what to pay Agalia. No, absolutely not. Any open prioritization collective, like the MathML Core collective, can just the you basically once once a collective is formed, the people who are who helped form it 
put together like a steering committee, for lack of a better term, some kind of governing group. And they decide how do we want to, like, what's the roadmap? Who are we hiring to do this? Or are we paying ourselves because we have the expertise? Whatever it is, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So the MathML Collective might decide, you know, we think these are the first three steps and we're going to hire, you know, this consultancy. We're going to hire coding group. Yeah, they could hire um, filament group. I'll just, I'll toss them out because I know that filament groups does coding. They might decide they want to hire filament rather than a Galia. That's, that's fine. Um, Or they might decide they want to hire a Galia instead of whatever. Right. And every collective can do that, make their sort of chart their own course. So Egalia created open prioritization because we want this capability out there because there's kind of been a bottleneck in the development of the web and the advancement of the web. And that bottleneck is the browser teams. Mm-hmm. And it's not a bottleneck as in they're gatekeeping and, and, you know, spitefully refusing to move forward. Now they want to move forward as much as anyone else, but they only have so much time, right? right? There's yeah. only so many people and so much time and, and so much money, yeah. right? And you think to yourself, Google has all the money in the world. What's well, okay, but the browser team doesn't, right? The browser team does not get all of Google's money, um, much as we might wish that they did. Right. Same thing with uh, um, uh, the WebKit team. WebKit team at Apple. Right. They don't have all of Apple's money. Um, right. yeah. They have their budget and their line items, and they have so many people that they can hire and a headcount. Now, I just recently saw that the WebKit team has thirty engineer positions open, like just open. They're hiring thirty engineers, so clearly they're getting at least some resources, and mm-hmm. it sounds like a lot more resources, which is great. Yes, but again, it's still a bottleneck, right? Mm-hmm. Because whatever they prioritize, all the stuff they prioritize means that all the stuff they didn't prioritize isn't getting worked on by the WebKit team, and it's again not a not a spiteful thing. It's not something they should be blamed for. It just it is what it is, right? I I can only do one thing at a time myself. It turns out so, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes the things that need to be worked on don't have domain expertise within the teams, right? How many MathML experts are there in the world and how many yeah. of them are working on browser teams that Venn diagram might not have any overlap. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know for sure. I'm, you know, but, or if there is overlap, it might be one person. And that one person already has a backlog that's, you know, longer than, than their arm because they, all the other things that they've, that they, that they need to work on. So the goal here is that people other than browser teams can commit resources and get things done. Now, it's likely that this will mostly be companies mm-hmm. because, you know, $500 isn't going to do it, unfortunately, yeah. right? These are major projects. You need $75,000, dollars $200,000. So <clears throat> it's likely that <clears throat> collectives will be, let's say, a group of 10 news organizations say this specification that's kind of been languishing for sharing anonymous information securely would be really useful for us in our reporting. And we want to see it implemented, but no browser teams are, are prioritizing it. So each of us are going to kick in $10,000, mm. right? So New York Times, Washington Post, yada, yada, you know, National Review, et cetera. They all come together and they kick in each of them kicks in some some amount, which is small for them, but would be very 
burdensome for most of us as individuals. <laughs> yeah. Right. So they raise $150,000 and they hire <clears throat> Filament Group or Agalia or Accenture or whatever to start implementing it in browsers so that, you know, let's say they, in their roadmap, they say, well, we're going to start with Chrome because it's the most widely used desktop browser. Or they say, we're going to start with, I, you know, WebKit because it's what's in all of the iOS devices, you know, whichever. And then somebody implements it and it starts landing in browsers, right? Awesome. Now individuals can certainly kick in as a show of sort of moral support. You know, I'm going to give my five bucks a month, which doesn't seem like months against much against $150,000, let's say, that was raised by these companies. But if enough people do that, it starts to add up. Yeah. Certainly the TikTok teams could identify <laughs> an API that would make their sharing of memes more awesome. And 10,000 of them each decide to pledge, you know, two bucks a month, that's $20,000 a month. You could hire a really good engineer for that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so that, that option is there. We don't anticipate that it will be individuals doing it up front, but mm. like at first, but that's, it's a possibility. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that's, that's an example of sort of like how, Agalia tries to it tries to widen these bottlenecks and to make things better for yeah. the for the web in general, yeah. um, and and tries to give over to the community. Hey, what is it that you want? You know, instead of us saying, "Well, we think this is what you want," tell us what you want. Show us what you want. Like yeah. commit to what you want, and then like you can make that happen. Um, right. which I think is a really great thing. And that is that kind of ethic that really, I think is the best part of the job. Before we get into the final three questions, I have two okay. quick CSS questions. One, Uh-oh. what are you seeing today uh, in looking forward or looking forward to as far as CSS goes, uh, what we can do with it now experimentally or in the browser now and in the future, kind of like subgrid. Let's just look, you know, it's still, you know, we're, not seeing that in Chrome yet, but um. no. Although it's starting to move, yes, they were waiting for Layout NG, okay, which was their complete restructuring, uh, like complete rewrite of their Layout engine, basically. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm subscribed to the sort of the tracker bug in the Chromium, yes, tracker, yeah. And it started. We're starting to see posts of things like, <laughs> okay, Layout NG's done, and we're ready, and. You know, right. intend yeah. to do this and intend to that to do that and so yeah that'll be super cool honestly though <clears throat> i think the thing that jazzes me the most at the moment is not container queries okay that's pretty awesome yep don't lie but css nesting and css mm. uh cascade layers yes those two i think are super great uh so nesting for those of you who who use SAS and you can how you can nest rules inside of each other so you don't have to write li or like ul ulli ulli code ulli code a right <laughs> nesting just lets you do ul and then indented as li and then indented as like that so that's coming they're working on bringing that natively to CSS so that you mm-hmm. don't need a preprocessor to do it um, which would make it more performant and etc. That's pretty cool and then cascade layers. We right now we have a limited number of cascade layers, mm-hmm. and from a developer, from an author point of view, there's my 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 styles, 
and my important styles. Those are the two layers for from the author side. There are more layers. There's the author, author important, reader, reader important. But right. let's just stick with the author side. Right. Regular styles, important styles. Cascade layers will let you define more layers that you just name. So you can have your unnamed regular styles that are in sort of the base layer. And the important layer will 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 be there sort of as a reserved keyword in a way. But then you could say you could have a layer that you call moderate, which is your moderately important styles. You put them all in that cascade layer. So you have regular, moderate, important. Right. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So those are some, those are a couple, you know, that I'm looking forward to as well. So my last question, uh, and it's kind of, (laughs) I was, I was listening to a podcast that you were on and and you mentioned, or they, whatever, whoever it was, and I can't remember who it was. And I apologize for that, but are you still getting emails about the WordPress reset, CSS reset? Yeah, occasionally. (laughs) (laughs) Although more often it comes out as, hey, great work on this, on that site, or Hey, I think you need to fix X, and it's all—it's always because the resets in the CSS, yeah. which has a URL to my website. Right. So they like look at the source, see the URL, copy paste the URL, find the contact form, and send me an email. Like I had someone recently who was just like, "Really great work on blah blah blah." It's like, yeah, I didn't work on blah blah blah. <laughs> I'm curious why you why you think I did. I mean, it's usually yeah. the answer, but yeah. I had to ask. Check. I had to ask. (laughs) So the last three questions that I usually ask my guests are first one being what about the web these days excites you and keeps you excited in what you do. I think we pretty touched upon that. Yeah. I think we touched on that. It's the web. Yeah. The web is what keeps me excited about the web. Web is awesome. Okay. Second question is if there were one thing you could change about the web that we know today, what would that be? That's much harder than it used to be. Because mm. once upon a time, my answer would have been, I would change it so that it was editable the way that it was when Tim Berners-Lee created it. Right. Like, the first web browser was also a web editor. Yes. But I'm not sure that that's true anymore. <laughs> sort of like, occasionally, people propose the idea of being able to annotate web pages. And my first thought is always now, how is that going to be abused? Which is a sign of... the field maturing, right? That we've started thinking about those kinds of things. It's not just that would be awesome because awesome people would do awesome things with it. It's all, you know, we're also, we also think how would that not be awesome because not awesome people will try to do not awesome things with it. Mm -hmm. Um, If I could change anything, I would, most of the things I can think of that I would change are things that the working groups are working on. Right. Um, You know, at most, I, I think I would say things like, I would, what I would change is that grid was implemented 10 years earlier. Yes. But, yeah. you know, I don't have a time machine. So, right. Right. Okay. What's your favorite part of front end development or design that you really like the most that you nerd out over? Honestly, edit command S, command tab, command R, which okay. I know is a completely dinosaur way of doing it, but mm-hmm. make a change, save it, tab over to your browser, hit reload, see the change. It's still yeah. amazing. It's so cool. Yeah. It's always been the case. But um, I think specifically, what I probably nerd out about the most 
these days is just the way people are being so creative. Uh, you know, to, there are so many examples, but I'll pick Lynn Fisher's a single div. Yes. Um, a dot single div.com, I believe yeah. where it's just all this stuff that she's on, like these, these interesting illustrations and, and animations and every single one of them is just one div and some CSS. And some of them you look at, you're like, no, I don't believe, I don't believe it that it's a single div and yet it is right. Yeah. You know, they're not necessarily things that anyone would ever do in production. But they're just fascinating because they're so creative and they really make you think about what else can we do, right? right? Like this, you know, this incredible animation of a of packages on a conveyor belt that go through an X-ray machine that was all done with a single div. Okay, I'm probably not ever going to do that. And if <laughs> I need an animation like that, I'm probably not going to do it this way. But what can I learn from that? What can I learn from what was done here? That might actually make sense for me to do, right? Like how did, how did, how does she do X? Because just this one little thing about that, because, you know, that relates to a thing that I'm trying to do. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the CSS lace was another one. I blanked on the name. I'm sorry. Um, but the, 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 the person who does the like classic painting styles, but they're just, Divs and CSS and SVG and was that Diana Smith? Now I have all these names that I'm sure aren't right in my head. Whatever. <laughs> well, you can put a link in the show notes. Yes. Um, <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, people being really creative and really finding new ways to use CSS, HTML, JavaScript, right, in ways that are very performant, that are very lightweight, but do really interesting things. That. That's that's been the case for a long time, and I think it always will be. Is those two things, both the save reload, instant change, and right. just the amazing amount of creativity. The the stuff being done with CSS is uh, amazing. So yeah. yeah, the Baroque paintings and yeah. and yeah, Lynn, you know, Lynn's site is. Lynn's I'm looking at it right now. It's just <laughs> some of this yeah. stuff is amazing. Um, how does she do it? Uh, yeah, I mean, genius. It's sheer genius. It, yeah, That's what it is. Yeah, it's uh, the this one here where the person you can drag the cursor and it makes the person taller. Yeah, uh, it's it's amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's I gonna I'll, I'm getting caught in a rabbit hole right now. Yeah, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, no worries. So I'd like to close the podcast out with my guests letting the listeners know what they currently have going on and where people can find you online. So the floor is yours. Well, I mean, what I have going on is we talked about Agalia and Event Apart. 2022 shows are up and we actually have a big old sale happening right now on three-day tickets for 2022, um, at least at the time that we're recording this. And uh, I'm also uh, going to start writing again soon, I hope. Well, people can find me uh, on the web pretty much at MeyerWeb. So MeyerWeb.com. It's M-E-Y-E-R web.com. I'm MeyerWeb on Twitter. I'm MeyerWeb on LinkedIn. I'm MeyerWeb on GitHub. Uh, MeyerWeb on Facebook, I think, although I'm rarely ever on Facebook anymore. Hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, pretty much. And if you go to MeyerWeb.com down in the footer on every page, there's a, it's labeled Identity Archipelago. Yep. Links to various, like my Flickr account is linked there. Stuff like that, even though I haven't posted there in years. 
Yeah. Um, but you can, you can see pictures that I've taken. The Twitter content, especially with the malfunctioning Markov chain generator. I enjoy those. So okay. <laughs> it's fun. What, what's becoming increasingly challenging is that there are more and more headlines that almost qualify, but not quite. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Eric. I appreciate oh. you coming on and, and Todd, thank you. Spending time, time with me today. Yeah, yeah, it's been great. Maybe at some point, hopefully in 2022, we'll I can see you up at Denver and San Francisco where the two I was going to try to get to uh, right. next year. So hopefully, yeah. uh, hopefully we can we see each other then. So again, thank you very much for your time. And thank you listeners for tuning into the Front End Nerdery podcast. I'll be back next time with a new guest, new conversations about front end design, development and other topics. Actually, this is going to be the last ep- uh, episode of the first season. Uh, I'm closing out with the interviews anyways. Next episode will be just a wrap up of this year. Uh, it's been a great and awesome uh, first season. So if you would please rate this podcast on your podcast device of choice, like, subscribe and watch on the Front End Nerdery YouTube channel. Links to transcripts and show notes are there. I'm Todd Libby, and this has been the Front End Nerdery Podcast. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.